Hello, I'm Doug Hadaway. You're listening to Achieve Great Things, where we talk about the power of strategy, science, and storytelling to achieve ambitious goals for people on the planet. In the midst of an affordable housing crisis and growing income inequality, the San Francisco Foundation asked local communities how best to promote equity in the city. Over several years, the foundation engaged people across five counties in conversations about racial equity and economic inclusion. Gail Fuller is Vice President of Marketing and Communications at the Foundation. She sat with me to tell the story, which began when the Foundation's CEO, Fred Blackwell, took the organization on a journey of discovery. The Foundation calls equity the North Star that guides all of your work. Tell us how you arrived at that. When our CEO, Fred Blackwell, arrived at the foundation in June of 2014, he began talking about equity as our North Star, Um, but he did not come up with an idea of what it would look like. We actually went through a process of discovery. Um, He started internally first of speaking with staff and the trustees, and then he moved externally, and he held community listening sessions throughout the five area counties that we work in. And we also talked, we had what we called consultative sessions with experts. Um, And what we found was that they helped to shape what we ended up calling our North Star and really helping us to define equity. And you engaged quite a lot of people in the process. How did you, how did you go about that? Well, you know, one of the things that we actually did, we actually started with data. So we started with data. And we actually even commissioned some research to provide kind of an equity profile of the Bay Area. And we have the data disaggregated by race, ethnicity, geography, economic status, you you name it. And it really did kind of illuminate um, many of the issues in the Bay Area, but they didn't really kind of, the data didn't point to some of the solutions. And so what we did was we decided to reach out to the community through listening sessions. And we called these voice. And we helped them, we began them in 2014 um, in the five area counties that we serve. And so think of them as kind of focus groups. We spoke with residents, we spoke with community leaders, we spoke with public officials. You know, we basically engaged people in conversations. We asked them questions, but most important, we actually listened. Um, and what we ultimately heard actually helped to create our strategy. Um, and, an, and, and, excuse me, and an agenda that is really about advancing racial equity and economic inclusion. But we didn't stop there. So after we held the community listening sessions, we went into what we call consultative sessions. And that's where we bought in, brought in place-based experts. So we had thought leaders, we had policy experts, we had nonprofit partners and opinion leaders. And these sessions were really vital. I mean, we asked them questions like, you know, how did the disparities become so acute in your communities. We asked them, how can we work together on a solution? And it really was their responses that really helped at the end kind of define where we needed to focus our work as a foundation. So the, you said uh, data was sort of the starting place and it showed inequities. Could you give us some examples? What were the sort of things that you saw in the data? Yeah, so we, one of the things that we knew and one of the things that came out really strong was that And the issues of housing, um, you know, uh, economic opportunity, jobs, you name it, that what was happening was that low-income communities and people of color were being disproportionately affected. 
You know, our CEO likes to say that we were in a situation where the rising tide wasn't lifting all boats. Um, so it was really clear too with our equity agenda who we were really needing to help as a community foundation. And tell us about the agenda. What's what's on the list? I don't really think of it as a list so much. Of, as ultimately, what we're trying to do is we want to ensure that all people living in the San Francisco Bay Area are economically secure, rooted in vibrant communities, and engaged in civic life. So we look at issues such as affordable housing. We look at jobs. We look at criminal justice, transit, community organizing. And we also look at those traditional issues that really make up the fabric of a community. And those are arts and education. Um, and that really kind of led to, you know, really crystallizing our equity agenda for us. Mm-hmm. And it's a little different from a, um, a lot of traditional foundations that look specifically at issue areas. We actually wanted to look at the interrelated um, um, issues uh, that we needed to work on. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's a story, an example that illustrates, you know, what you mean by equity and how, how you're going about it? Yeah, I think actually the work that we're doing to address the affordable housing crisis really illustrates what we mean when we talk about everyone having a chance to live in a safe and affordable home. You know, what we're seeing in the Bay Area is that there is tremendous job growth, but it's far outpacing the supply of homes. We have stagnant wages, we have skyrocketing housing prices, and what's happening is barrier residents are struggling to stay in their home. We actually um, announced a new initiative called Keep Oakland House, and it really is about trying to prevent homelessness. What are the factors and what can we do to keep people housed? So we're doing emergency response, and that emergency response includes legal representation, it includes emergency financial assistance, and it also includes supportive services. Because what we're finding is, though, you know, a lot of people who are facing this crisis come from low-income communities of color, that it's actually, the housing challenge has actually expanded. So we're seeing middle-income residents throughout the region facing uh, the possibilities of losing their home. You know, we've done some research, and what we found is that two full-time workers making $15 an hour, which is a little over $62,000 per year, can only afford to live in 5% of our region's neighborhood, Hmm. 5%. So what you're finding is that we are having people displaced from their communities. The fabric of the communities are totally changing. I'm a person who moved to San Francisco um, two years ago. And when I hear the stories of people talking about how vibrant San Francisco was, I've had a few people told me it was kind of like the, um, particularly um, some of the uh, neighborhoods in San Francisco were equated to uh, the Harlem of the West. You don't see that now in San Francisco. And it really is because of uh, residents being displaced. And so what we're trying to do, and I think it really is a huge part of it, while building and preserving homes is really key, we also believe in protecting residents who are at the risk of displacement. So if I was to talk about a story, it really is about what happens to a community when people are displaced. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, sort of the higher level of the strategy, you articulated sort of a very pithy framework of people, place, and power. Can you explain that framework? Yeah, so when we were looking at 
ultimately what we had to do uh, within this work, we looked at the fact that it was critical that we expanded access to opportunity for all Bay Area residents. We talked about anchoring communities and what did that mean? Anchoring communities was about people being able to stay in their home. It was also about what makes a community, the arts. And then we also looked at how can we nurture equity movement. Now I've just described that to you. And one of the things that we realized was how could we say that in a simple way? What were the things that were really important? This was about people. This was about place. And this was about power. And so our work around our grant making is uh, placed into what we call interrelated pathways. And those are people, place, and power. Let's talk about power a, lot, a bit more. A lot of foundations steer clear of anything that sounds remotely political, quote unquote. Um, and that might sound that way to some. Explain that piece of it to us. Yeah, when I was mentioning our consultative sessions, those consult during this consultative session, one of the things that we heard from experts was that, you know, there weren't very many foundations that actually were supporting community organizing that were really focused on movement building and advocacy. And so we made uh, a decision that we were going to focus on making sure that we were helping to nurture equity movements in what we call our power pathway. Um, but we also heard that, you know, things like the arts and culture was an important part of creating a strong sense of place. Um, and that there were important emotional kind of touch points when it came to community organizing. So what we did was we looked across the work that we were doing with people, place, and power and made sure that we infused within all of that work a sense of community, a sense of community organizing, and really what did it mean for us as a foundation to exercise also our civic leadership. That so wasn't simply about working with our partners around community organizing and advocacy. It was also what was our role as a foundation in this work. Yeah, what are some examples of that? How did the foundation use your voice or influence? Yeah, so we have been doing a lot of work, particularly around housing. Um, and we've done that both as a funder and as a civic leader. So in 2016, we supported several housing bonds um, in the Bay Area. Most recently, we're actually um, been very, very vocal on uh, Proposition 13. And it was uh, passed uh, about 40 years ago. And it really kind of changed how um, property taxes were assessed in California. So our focus is around the portion of it that is around commercial uh, tax reform. And so we are working with partners throughout the state, actually, and that if Proposition 13 is actually reformed, it would um, result in $11 billion a year to schools and vital community services. It would not raise any taxes on homeowners, renters, or small businesses. And so we think that it is important. And in fact, when we first became public on it, we actually uh, did a, um, a blog that uh, was signed not only by our CEO, Fred Blackwell, it was signed by one of our trustees and one of our donors. It was really important to us in taking the stance that we also were able to show um, that this was a partnership and exercising our voice. And it was so important um, that one of our donors um, agreed to sign it. And, that's and I can tell you, that's not easy, though. Seth. <laughs> it's not easy. There are not everyone who agrees on a community foundation being as vocal as we are. 
Yeah, that's what I thought. That's, uh, that's certainly unusual. What advice or guidance would you have for folks at community foundations or others that are thinking about how they do this sort of thing? How do we use our voice and influence? Any, any pointers for them? Yeah, I mean, one thing, you know, um, I would say to a uh, foundation colleague that if you really want to reimagine how you're delivering on your mission, listen to the community. Um, I cannot stress that um, enough. Um, like I said, when we talked about, you know, what we learned from the data, it was illuminating. But what really kind of helped us crystallize our strategy was what we heard from the community, the residents, the experts that truly shaped um, our work. And it continues. In fact, we're getting ready to hold um, some more consultative sessions uh, later this year. And next year, we'll be going back to our five area counties and holding community listening sessions. And communications are obviously key to a process like this. If you're engaging the community, it sounds like it's very visible. What were some of the challenges from a communication standpoint? I think there were actually uh, challenges on two fronts. One was our own internal communications and the other was external. And so internally, when it came to our staff and to our trustees, it was really important that we actually strengthened our internal communications, that everyone knew along the way the journey we were taking, because we were going to ultimately make some, could be, you know, drastic changes within the community foundation. Um, there could be areas that people had worked very long and hard on, like the issues of health, uh, which did not end up um, the way we traditionally look at it within our equity agenda. So that was really kind of the key of where we started. And then it was being able to communicate particularly with our grantees and donors. I mean, we were moving, you know, we had to communicate that we weren't moving away from issues such as art and education, which we knew were important to our donors and our grantees. And I'll be honest, we weren't as clear as we needed to be from the start. And so what we faced, particularly our first year of the equity agenda, were people not thinking we were still working in the art in education. You know, we were, but we were looking through these areas differently. We were looking through these areas through an equity lens. Um, and that, I by far, was, I think, one of our greatest challenges in communicating. And I remember uh, learning about this from a um, piece that you produced. You had commissioned uh, author Fran Smith to sort of chronicle this journey. And I was really struck by that. And you have a beautiful piece of work that sort of tells the story, which is still unfolding. Um, tell us about Fran and why you chose to chronicle the process like this. Well, first of all, Fran Smith is wonderful. She is the type of person um, who is very good in one-on-one -on -one interviews of having people really articulate what they thought of the journey. Um, we had people, particularly our staff, who were quite honest about some of the ups and downs of this work. Um, she spoke to trustees, civic leaders, grantees, you name it. So she was really able to really uh, gather from them um, the journey, but also ultimately what ended up being kind of our, our lessons learned. And it was important to us. So when we first looked at this work, actually, we were actually looking at this simply to archive our journey. Uh, and so that we were really clear of how um, we had developed the equity uh, agenda. As we were going through this work with Fran and we were looking at, you know, some of her notes from her interviews and where this report seemed to be going, we realized it was really important, actually, that we share this publicly. Um, and so we did do an external version of the report. 
Um, and really the intention there was uh, for other foundations to hopefully um, find benefit from it. And also as a way, um, as we continue to work with our partners and our donors, for them to have a really a clear understanding of how we got here and the continued support we need to move forward. If somebody listening wants to check that out, where can they find it? They can actually find it on our website, which is sff.org. And we've made it easy for people. There is actually a link on our homepage to the report. And as you said, the journey doesn't seem to be over yet. What's ahead? Wow. As I mentioned, you know, one of the things that we're doing now is circling back to those listening sessions. So like I said, um, soon we'll be doing our consultative sessions with our um, experts. We'll be doing community listening sessions. And actually, we're actually learning to work smarter internally. And by that, I mean, one of our next steps for us is that, you know, we've made this commitment to the equity agenda. Now, how do we actually articulate and be clear on the results of the work that we're doing? And so we, once again, went to the experts. So we're working with the Annie E. Casey Foundation to do what's called results-based accountability so that we're really clear on what we're trying to achieve and that we can actually show the results of the work within the community. Um, and it's, uh, I, I joke that it's actually like getting a PhD uh, where you learn results-based accountability, but it is wonderful. And actually, that's another piece of advice I would give other foundations to really look at the work um, as, uh, as such with Annie E. Casey Foundations and others who have really done a really great job of articulating and teaching results-based accountability. And we're doing that throughout our whole staff. So everyone on staff uh, will be trained around this work. So I heard you talk about internal communications as a key aspect of this, engaging experts and thought leaders, engaging the larger community. Uh, a lot of communications going on there to make this work, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. So we look at communications on several fronts, like I said, internally and externally, but it's also part of our jobs as communicators to help the foundation itself see, uh, see it differently. You know, we look at strengthening internal communications. We look at how we position the foundation. We look at how we engage the community. Um, and really kind of um, what, what I find is really uh, important is that how do we um, make more awareness around the issues that we're working on? You know, a lot of people, like when I mentioned the affordable housing crisis, they only think of that crisis as affecting a certain demographics within our community mostly low-income people, low-income communities and people of color, and now being able to tell the story of how it's actually affecting the middle-income um, residents. I guess uh, my last question would be about any sort of parting thoughts or advice for somebody whose foundation isn't at this point yet. Um, a lot of people are thinking about equity and trying to figure out how to talk about it, do it. <laughs> um, what are your sort of top pointers for folks who are in that position? Um, I would say, and this is um, definitely a, a place where the, the communications team can actually help as being part of the group developing the strategy, is being really clear of one, what do you mean by equity and what are you leading with? So for example, for the San Francisco Foundation, we're focused on racial equity. Um, it is important to us that we lead with race um, because we know from the data itself that mostly people of color are impacted by these issues. Um, but I would hope that um, all of our, 
my communications colleagues. Um, if you're not invited to a seat at the table, demand a seat at the table, because I think where we were probably successful as a foundation is that this work involved every department within the foundation. Yeah, it's interesting how often that comes up as we talk about philanthropy and having impact in society. Communications uh, is an integral part of that, um, and people are still learning that lesson. Yeah, I, I find that uh, a lot of the times that we're still, and I've been doing this for 30 years, and I find that I'm also having the same conversation over again, is the importance of including communication from the start um, and not at the end where you think, now it's time that I need communication. Because we're going to look at it from every aspect, including crisis communication. Um, like I said, I mean, when you decide to go beyond your role as a funder, you look at being a civic leader, you look at being an advocate, you have to be prepared uh, to be able to communicate with your priority audiences why you're taking these steps. And not everyone's going to be able to agree, but you're going to have to be able to have those conversations and sometimes difficult conversations. Absolutely. Uh, last question I want to ask you, we uh, like to pose to the guests on uh, Achieve Great Things. Um, it's about trends and innovations in, uh, in communications writ large. Are there any that you're keeping your eye on, new trends, new tools, any kind of innovation of any description? So there are actually two things that we're looking at. One is how that we can strengthen our digital strategy, but another is around our messaging work and really being very targeted on who our priority audience is there, are, who's our base, who are those that are persuadable, and really speaking to the audience and not the interested public as a whole. How are you going about that? That's a really smart way to go. So we've actually been doing, uh, on both fronts, both with our digital strategy and our messaging, we've been doing a lot of research. So we have um, done uh, research both informally and with uh, other organizations, including the Center for Effective Philanthropy, which is actually um, surveying right now our donors, our grantees, and applicants. Um, one of the things that we're finding as a foundation, and I would encourage everyone to make sure, is that you know we actually understand our audiences a lot better. Um, and for us coming into this work with the equity agenda, we had not done any research for about the last six years. It was really important uh, to combine the research that is now leading to stronger messaging and eventually our digital strategy. Were there any surprises from the research? Uh, yeah, um, one um, actually came with um, how our donors see us. Um, and there was a kind of a, a divide between um, how some long-term donors see us versus some newer donors um, who are younger, like, you know, 40 and under, about what our role was as a community foundation. We found that more um, new donors and younger donors wanted us to um, be very explicit about our work around equity and wanted us to go beyond our role as a funder to really take a stance on our civic leadership and being very vocal of where we stand on critical issues. Well, thanks so much for taking time with us. I know between all this work on your equity agenda and helping to host a communications network conference in uh, San Francisco, it's a busy time. So we appreciate it. All right. Take care. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye.